I'm Angela Kenneke, a veteran journalist with 30 years in television news and an investigative reporter. But for the purpose of this podcast, I'm just a mom trying to find my way after the loss of a child in the opioid epidemic. I am grieving out loud, using my platform on TV and on social media to try to stop the stigma of addiction and get more people into treatment so that no other family has to go through the devastation that I and my family have experienced at the loss of our 21-year-old, Emily. I'm joined today by Mark McManus, who is the founder for Power for Abundant Recovery. Thank you for being here, Mark. Absolutely. My pleasure. Tell me a little bit about what is Power for Abundant Recovery. Mm -hmm. Well, Power for Abundant Recovery is a Christ-centered 12-step addiction recovery group ministry, and it's designed to bridge the gap between the addiction recovery world and the faith community. So we provide a place where people can come and they can share openly and freely without fear of shame or condemnation, but yet at the same time, they don't have to leave their faith at the door. Is it a 12-step program? Yes, uh, our steps are unique. Uh, we have the PAR 12 steps. So everything is Christ-centered um, from top to bottom. Yeah, and the, the model is different. Um, there's another organization out there who has done some really pioneering work in recovery meetings and stuff in churches, uh, but ours is built on a 12-step group template. Okay, tell me a little bit about your history, how you came to be founding this organization. Mm. It starts with your own recovery, correct? Absolutely. Well, I was working at uh, Rimrock Treatment Center. I'd been their adjunct therapy specialist and had been sober for uh, a number of years. Was alcohol your drug Absolutely. Of choice? Absolutely. And when did you start drinking? Oh, when I was probably 11. 11? I took my first, first drink when I was 11. How know. did that affect you at the age of 11? It just took the trauma and all the stuff that was going on, it, it took that edge off. I grew up uh, in an alcoholic home. My mom left when I was four. My father raised my brother and I. Uh, my brother was born with uh, fetal alcohol syndrome. I was born with FASD, which is fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And so your mother had been a heavy drinker during her absolutely. pregnancies. Yep. And you were affected not only by that, but by your mother's absence. Yeah. And yeah, I that. have heard over and over again that trauma is often, most of the time, at the root of addiction. Huge. Yeah. Because what people will do is they'll, they'll attempt to self-medicate unresolved trauma or issues of, I call it soul work, mind, will, and emotions. Um, but then what happens, there are those where that physical component kicks in, where addiction comes in, and the free will begins to get hijacked, and they become a casualty and a prisoner of that addiction. Yeah. It really seems like that. It seems like it is a uh, it robs the person of their soul or their oh, spirit. It, and it's real, yeah. So you took your first drink at 11. Mm -hmm. What age were you when you stopped drinking? I was 29 years old. I had two little boys, and uh, I, I had seen a pattern in my own life where I couldn't control. I was very high-functioning, but behind When you say high-functioning, what do you mean by that? You well, have a I job? Worked, I worked for a uh, company where they did uh, investments and insurance and things like that. I wore my suit and tie. I kept a bottle in the desk. 
and nobody knew, but my world was melting underneath me quickly. Why? Because I had to begin drinking more and more to maintain that functional level. And uh, I, as that began to continue, uh, it, it became apparent I, I need to get some help. What was the instigator to get you into recovery? Um, I had a dream, and it was about my uh, youngest son, who was about four at the time. And the image in this dream, if you've ever seen a small child crying so hard they can't breathe, and he had bruises all over him. Now, there was no physical um, you know, issues, but what was happening, that was indicative of the emotional effects that were going on in a home and a marriage where there was turmoil and conflict. And it broke my heart. So you did it for your child? Initially, I, uh, I, I, I said, I can't do this. Because, and also because my, both my parents were alcoholic and I knew what that was like growing up in that environment, um, I had made the decision, I am not, this generation is where it stops. And did it stop with that generation? No. It stopped with me. I've been I've been sober thirty one right. years now, but not with my 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 sons. Both my sons, who are grown men now, um, went through their battles of addiction. But because I had I was sober, they could reach out to me and say I need help. Do you think it's a gene? Then is it something in the genes? What is it? Well, if you have this generation, your parents, you, yeah. your children. I'm a huge believer that there are um, genetic propensities, although I'm not a neurophysician, um, uh, in my family, my grandparents, my grandmother, um, my mom, my dad, and, and that same propensity with my sons. And it wasn't just behavioral, it was bam. I think there's something, and I've heard about this when I've uh, talked to other people who have suffered uh, from substance use disorder, it was like, like you said, you took that drink at 11 and that you just knew that was kind of your answer. I'm, I'm not addicted to anything, yeah. so I don't have that. Like I, yeah. I could have a glass yeah. of wine and I'm like, ugh, you know. Yeah. But I think for almost everybody I've talked to, whether it be alcohol or marijuana or whatever the drug mm -hmm. was, mm -hmm. it's like, this is it for me. Do you think that's true? Yeah, imagine if you were having a massive heart attack and I've never had one, but the, it's described the pain is so excruciating. And then when they give them medication to ease that pain to reach normalcy, not even a euphoric thing, but just normalcy, um, I, that's what that was like for me. That makes a lot of sense. It's, uh, I've never heard it put that way before, but yeah. that makes a lot of sense. It kind of makes you feel like you're normal. You're not the outcast. You're not the, wow. Because there's so much emotional uh, damage or trauma going on that when that chemical is introduced, whatever that chemical is that works for that individual, all of a sudden there's this, this coping level that gets hit that goes, I don't, I don't feel shameful, I don't feel like a failure, I'm not afraid all the time, this works for me. So whether that be anxiety or whatever the underlying issues are. Because a lot of people begin self-medicating for things that are issues that you know, later with medical help, they can get help, but they don't know. I didn't know. Right. No, yeah. I wouldn't have known. I just know it helped. The age of first use for you was so young. What about for your sons? Was that something that... Uh, about 12. Don't you think if we could delay that age of first use for oh. people to... 
Well, 25 would be ideal because the brain is still developing. In our society, Absolutely. that's probably not realistic. But even to 21, to delay yes. that first use so the brain, the developing brain isn't influenced Absolutely. by these chemicals. Because there's so much going on during that time of brain development. And with my sons, I when I got out of treatment and got sober, it was a different atmosphere. And um, because of that, uh, I had gone through divorce. And my sons lived with uh, their mother and it was a different, um, different kind of environment and it ended up being very abusive and with a new husband and, and, and so uh, they began self-medicating and uh, I finally was able to, um, when, what happened with my oldest, if you don't mind me telling you, um, it was uh, the day before Good Friday and I got a call from my ex and she said, your son has been missing for three days. How old was he? Uh, he was 17. So I flew to um, the state that they lived in and I spent the next seven days looking for him and uh, walking by faith. I had no idea. Um, there was gangs involved, drugs involved. So one night in the middle of the night, I got a phone call because I put it out on the network. I knew that there was a restaurant where he had hung out a lot and I just called the manager and I said, I'm, I'm the father and um, would you just let him know that I'm in town and that I love him? And it got out on the street, the network, and in the middle of the night he called me and uh, came to my hotel room. And so... And from there, has it been a tough road for him or...? Oh yeah, he went, he went, both of them had battled addiction, but for him especially because, because of the trauma of abuse and, and the way that unfolded and the drugs, uh, he ended up having issues with, with the law, but he then went into the military and ended up going over to Iraq. So, That's traumatic as well. So then you have that on top of that, and when he came back, he was absolutely just self-medicating pain, loss, grieving, everything. And we had not talked for uh, seven years uh, because he was in a state at one point where he said, I never want to talk to you again. Because you were trying to encourage him to get well? Uh, not only that, but some boundaries mm -hmm. that happened with addiction. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, all I could do was just pray. And seven years oh, later, I got a call. to your child for seven years. Oh, it broke my, it broke my heart. It broke my Especially heart. Especially because you have been through your own battle yeah. and recovery, and you, you yeah. know you have an idea of what it takes, right? Yeah. But yeah. you can't force that on somebody else, can no. you? No. And, and see, that's the whole thing. Recovery is not a hostage situation. And, and I think so many people think, well, you're the parent. You know what this is all about. Why couldn't you just yeah. save him? Why don't you just try harder? If you would just do this, this, and this, you could have helped them. It's like I've seen so many parents, and even myself, try to beat themselves up because they were trying to control something that wasn't in their control. Absolutely. Yeah. So long story short, we have reconciled. It was an amazing, miraculous uh, reunion, and, and he is clean and sober today. He had a... How a, long has he been in recovery? Uh, it's been um, a couple years now. That's great. Yes. Every day that goes by a little yes. bit longer. As you know, having been in recovery for how many years now? Uh, 31. 31. Well, yeah. congratulations. Thank That's you. amazing. Thank you. So starting this group, what, what prompted you to do that? Well, I, uh, the, the seed had been planted um, 
that I, I knew I was, at 15 I knew that I was going to somehow, some way serve in ministry. I didn't know what that would look like. I knew I wouldn't pastor a church. And then I went out and I'm being the prodigal son and all that and I, I, I believed that I blew it. I was done. I wasted. You I thought you made it. all these mistakes. And, and so that, yeah. what happened, when I was working at Rimrock, there was an individual who was uh, a pastor's uh, child, had gone through um, detox. And then the minute uh, the person was out of detox, like, all right, let's clean you up and we'll get you a new shirt and, and dress and hat and whatever that looked like and we'll make you in charge of something. Nothing was dealt with. It was, let's just clean it up, put some... Superficial. Yeah. The second time that happened to that individual, I said, it was like, God, we gotta do something. Because on one hand, there has to be a place where people can get real, who are Christians, who can get real and not worry about freaking people out you know, in, in, in the faith community, but yet the other hand, where they can go and they don't have to nullify the, their faith by vague terms. And so that's when the seed started. And how long have you had this organization? Uh, five years. And how many people have you? Well, we, we started with, um, I, I can remember having the first meeting and there was one man who came. <laughs> <laughs> so you said, I got this great idea. You yeah. started it and one person came? <laughs> right. And so we prayed and then a two came. And then today uh, we have 11 meetings a week uh, in Billings and we're expanding into other cities. And, and You're doing that through technology. The, the state. And well, with the goal of that's going to be a launching pad to go then nurture and mentor uh, real-time groups. Right. So you could have uh, different groups in different states Absolutely. with somebody heading them up with the basic, all under this one umbrella. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So that in yeah. five, within five years, you know, to already have grown so much is amazing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, we're just, we're just grateful. God, I tell people God's on the move. We just see so many miracles every day. It, it's, it's very humbling because you see people's lives changed and, and, and we get to, uh, I can't tell you how many times people have come in and they said, it's so nice to be able to be real but yet I can be open about my faith. Do you find though, I've heard over and over again that no two addictions can be treated the same. For some people, you know, the faith-based works, for some people it doesn't, for some people medically assisted treatment is the key. Is there a way, do you think there's a, a combination, like a perfect Absolutely. formula, what, what, what is it? Absolutely, one of our core components, and I, I just released a video on YouTube explaining that, um, as a matter of fact, last night that it's body, soul, and spirit. We have to get honest about doing the soul work. In the faith community, what I tell them is, look, there, there are issues of body, soul, and spirit, of, of mind, will, and emotions. We can't cover it up. We can't uh, pretend it's not there. We gotta do that work. We have to be honest about the fact that addiction is physical, organic, it's real. But yet, um, within that component, the, one of the correlations in, in the whole thing with addiction is uh, we, we try to be our own God. I'll run the show. I'll do this. I'm strong enough. I'll do it by myself. And what we have seen over and over with PAR is that with Christ-centered recovery, um, that all three of those, when I get that vertical alignment in place, I find out 
the, my true value, then I'm not a failure. I'm not a, a, a throwaway. I'm not a leper. I have an addiction. Is it modern day leprosy? Absolutely. We have, the way I talk about it is we have, we have lepers and outcasts all over there and God is just calling them home to come back, to get restored, and then to go back out on the battlefield and be ambassadors of Christ and recovery. Yeah, and, and they're coming in from everywhere. If you get somebody who's a radical, uh, maybe they were a gang member, a drug dealer, a biker, or even a, a you know, Satanist, whatever that looks like, and they come into recovery and they have this, this uh, new relationship built with Christ, they're still warriors. And when it gets ugly and dirty, the thing that makes, that would normally make, I don't know how to say this, religious people nervous and sketchy, these guys will go, come on, man, let's go get them. They're out dying on the battlefield, let's go, we'll go. So maybe there isn't that uh, hypocrisy uh, um, sometimes that you see within religious, cannot, I'm not calling it religion. No, I get it, I get it. But here's, here, here's the issue is when somebody comes to one of our PAR meetings, they, we've heard it so many times, it just feels so different here. Number one, because we invite Christ to be at the center of that. But two, they're sitting in a room full of people who absolutely know that the only reason they are even there is because of mercy and grace, because all they brought was junk to the game. You know, the one thing that I've heard a little bit of talk about is the anonymous part in Alcoholics yep. Anonymous, and that that isn't maybe such a good thing. Like maybe back in the day when it was started, there yep. was a reason for that, but that has helped clothe uh, addiction and secrecy yes, and shame. Yes, yes. And, and instead of, what I'm trying to do, obviously, is talk openly about what happened in my family. Yes. I'm not being anonymous about it. Well, you know, one of the, one of the rules in dysfunction, control and dysfunction woundedness is don't talk, don't tell, don't feel. And uh, having started in old school, 12-step stuff, you know, where you couldn't even talk about your own stuff because somebody would go, well, that's anonymity. It's like, I can blow my own anonymity if I want. <laughs> so we have to talk. We have to come out in the open. And the thing with PAR is power for abundant recovery is that um, we have another component. It's called our testimony of hope. See, we, so... In, in my faith, I'm called to, to share my testimony of hope for others, um, to, to, to give them hope and encouragement. Well, if I'm locked in this vapor bag of, of anonymity, what am I going to do? And so there's a term in one group that says we're a program of attraction, not promotion. Other 12-step programs. I promise you that PAR is a program of attraction and promotion. We will promote, we will tell people, we'll, we'll stand on the top of the roof and tell people we're here. Right, because that's the way to pull back the veil and say, hey, yes. this can happen to anybody and here's the way out. Oh, we have I had, think finding oh. the way out is the hardest thing for people. Well, the, they, they need to know, see, we, it's a team effort. We have people that come to our groups and they need help with not only the physical addiction part, which is very real, but some of that soul work. I don't even blink an eye going, you need to, here, I'm gonna call, I'm gonna call Rimrock. Guys, we got someone who needs treatment. But yet, we have meetings up there so that people who um, 
their their faith is is critical to them um, that can be provided to them as well among other so you things. could work jointly with more secular groups or secular even state treatments on anything you could you could really yeah. work in companionship with these different organizations and just to offer a different path that we we each have different missions within our beachfront that that we're heading in in this war and this battle on addiction but our common vision is to help people from dying and and get restoration so we're kind of the special forces boots on the ground spiritual team when somebody goes you know i i i need a christian program it's like call us that's what we're here for mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing your yeah. story. Do you want to leave anybody with a few words? Yes, yes. I, I, I really want to tell you that um, you don't have to live in shame and condemnation. You don't have to compromise your faith. There is a place where you can do that. Um, and, and the other part of that is this. Don't give up. Don't quit. You're not alone. You're not alone. It's a lonely place to be when people are immersed in the middle of their addiction. Oh, we and all the hiding and lying and the different the shame and the things that goes on. It's such a lonely place. Yes, we isolate like stormtroopers. Yeah. yeah. Because our isolation, we hide in that shame. If you really knew me, you wouldn't want anything to do with me. You wouldn't want to talk to me. You, would, you wouldn't. And, and, and with us, we'll tell you right up front. We used to be, we were that leper. We were that failed person. We were that whatever. And the only thing we brought or, or, or were met with was, was mercy. So we're not going to judge you. We're here to serve you. As a matter of fact, in our organization, you don't use the word leader without putting the word servant in front of it because there's only one big shot. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much oh, for yeah. sharing your story and for sharing yeah, your mission oh. with us today. Yes. I believe we can all learn from each other as we walk through life and by sharing our suffering, we can lessen the suffering of others. Until next time, wishing you faith, hope, and courage. To read my blogs and join us in our mission, just go to Emily's Hope at paintingapathtorecovery.org. Also, please rate and review this podcast. Thank you.